you're in the right place. The place where you can learn to improve your health and achieve wellness naturally. You're in the right place. This is Naturally Speaking, brought to you by the Institute of Natural Health on KTRS. Welcome in. This is Naturally Speaking. You've got the Institute of Natural Health here. I am Dr. Seth Gerlach. We've got Dr. T.J. Williams in the house and Miss Erin Flynn. Our mission in this is to educate our listeners how amazing and resilient the body is. We all have the ability to heal. It's all about unlocking that potential. So we want to give you the tools you need to not only prevent illnesses and diseases, but to help you achieve true wellness. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm Dr. Seth Gerlach. I've been doing this for a while. I'm a doctor of chiropractic, and I've got a diplomate in internal diagnosis. So I was sick from about 13 years old since till I was 26. And so in that period of time, I learned how to kind of regain my health, and my goal is to really help other people do the same. And I'm Dr. T.J. Williams. I spent many, many years in college. I was actually in college for 20 straight years. I have two doctorates. I am a doctor of chiropractic, and I also have a Ph.D. in kinesiology with an emphasis in physiology, and I love teaching. There's nothing that excites me more than getting in front of a room full of people or like this in a radio station where I can broadcast my thoughts and ideas and knowledge out to the masses and let them hear and learn that the body is interconnected. There is an inborn ability to heal. All you have to do is figure out what it is that's broken and put the pieces back together. And also with us, our voice of reason in all this madness, Miss Erin Flynn. Um, what I feel like I really bring to this, I want to be clear, I do not have a doctorate. I am here as someone who has been in a room with Dr. Seth and Dr. TJ before and had them talking over my heads. And so I'm going to probably ask a lot of questions and hopefully my voice will be kind of what those of you out there who are listening are wondering when they start talking about topics and, um, you know, information that a lot of us have not learned and could be a little confusing. She's here to rein us in, folks. She's here to rein us in. We've got a great show today. It's packed full all the way to the end. We're going to talk a little bit about gut health. So if you've got constipation, diarrhea, gas, bloating, we're going to cover all that. We're going to talk a little bit about what foods can actually give us problems. And we're going to give you some simple steps at home to really take care of your own health and alleviate these symptoms. So tune in. It's going to be a great show. Get ready. Buckle up. Here we go. We're going to take a quick commercial break to get that out of the way. So when we come back, we're going to dive right into gut health and how the gut can really affect your the health of your entire body. You're listening to Naturally Speaking on the Big 550 KTRS. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Naturally Speaking. Naturally Speaking, from the Institute of Natural Health on KTRS. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. You've got your health warriors in studio here. I am Dr. Seth Gerlach. We've got Dr. T.J. Williams in studio. 
and the beautiful Aaron Flynn. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. You guys excited to be here? Beyond excited. Cool. Always. I'm excited, too. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about getting in here and sharing our, our health stories and uh, letting people know that there is a better way to health, and um, we like to help people along that path. So Always better. Always looking for better. That's right. So today, I think we're going to talk about, what are you talking about, gut? Let's talk about some gut. I okay. love the gut. Okay. So today, there's a lot of problems in Americans' society today with um, gut problems. It could be constipation. It could be diarrhea, IBS, ulcers, uh, reflux. I mean, the list goes on and on. So uh, we're going to try to figure that out today, see if we can give you some tips and tricks to see if you can get your, uh, your digestion working up to par. TJ, you ready to go? I'm ready to go. I'm okay. ready to go. You know, I was just reading something earlier this afternoon about constipation. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump right into constipation here, folks. The statement that I read said that over half of Americans are constipated on a daily basis. And they, they stated that that was normal. Seriously? That's normal. Right. How, what do we do with that? That's crazy. It's insane. Yep. Can I ask a question before you get started into this? Yes. Oh, Just as, as the non-doctor here? Go. Um, when you say gut, is that a technical term? I mean, what exactly are you talking about? That's a great question. Wow, we're getting deep already. We, we, are, we are diving right in. Cool. When, when we say gut, that's really, it's, think of it as small intestine, large intestine. And those are just two pieces to the puzzle. Why don't I just go ahead and kind of describe digestion and what the whole thing is, and we'll go from there. Do it. Okay. So when you eat a food, you chew it up nice and small, hopefully. You know, you should probably chew each bite of food about 20 times. That allows you to break your food into really small pieces. But you don't have to count. Yeah, you don't have to count. It's not that fun. But you should really try to chew more. Uh, that's where your food starts to break down, actually in your mouth. It's really cool. After that, food travels down your esophagus into your stomach. So if people may know your stomach's really acidic. And it's that way so it can help break your food into even tinier pieces. Very small. Oh, that's great. After that, we go over to the small intestine. That's where almost all of the absorption of the food takes place. So we are not really what we eat. We are what we eat, absorb, and utilize from our food. And that is actually really hard to do. Isn't that true, Chief? It's very true. We are – Seth, Dr. Seth said it exactly right. We are not what we eat. We are merely what we can absorb and utilize from what we eat. Let that sink in for just a second. But that means that it doesn't matter if you eat the healthiest diet on the planet. If your system can't break down and extract the nutrients out of that food that you're eating, you can't, and then be able to use it on top of that, you're going to be sick. You're going to become unhealthy. Yeah, and you know what? More and more people these days are having this problem. They don't even know it because our, our standard American diet these days is filled with inflammatory foods and bad fats and things like that. They really damage the gut, and they, they make us inflamed, and they keep us from absorbing food. Erin's got her hand up over here. She's got a question. <laughs> well, actually, I have a couple of questions. Awesome. Um, Bring them. So I know you said the gut was the large and small intestine, but before we get there, you had mentioned the stomach and that it is generally very acidic. Isn't that something that a lot of people have problems with? Ooh, now she's really diving in deep. Absolutely. 
most of you have, if you've watched TV at all, you have seen some sort of commercial out there for some sort of antacid medication or something to help with digestion or indigestion or things like that. And a lot of times what's really going on for people is that their stomach isn't acidic enough. We're eating foods that are making our stomach less acidic. And when we have less acid, our stomach doesn't work properly, and food actually can go the wrong way. It can go backwards up into our esophagus and give us the sensation of heartburn. And every anyone that's ever had heartburn, they know exactly that what I'm talking about. It is not comfortable. And the things that are out there to, to help alleviate heartburn are making the stomach even less acidic and basically causing the problem to be worse. That's true. And I would add one point there, too. Some of these drugs are, again, like TJ said, making the stomach less acidic, but we need acid in our stomach. That's one thing that keeps bugs out of our body. It's one of the, multi, it's one of the first barriers of our defense system. So when we get rid of that, that leaves us way more prone to infections. So that's just another consequence of someone taking a drug, unfortunately. So just so I understand, when someone has heartburn or um, reflux disease, is your suggestion to just let it go? Because um, I, from my understanding, it's really uncomfortable. So what's the answer? Now, the, the answer is actually complicated, believe it or not. Um, the, occasionally, there are people who actually make too much acid. That is a very small percentage of the population. And a lot of it deals with figuring out what it is in their diet that's causing the acid reflux. Sometimes it's foods that they don't even know. There are actually tests out there that are available to figure out if they're eating something that's creating this problem. Yeah, TJ, what are, what are the top offenders there of foods? Oh, you're Often. looking at things like coffee, uh, acidic-type foods, so so tomato sauces and things like that. Those are just a couple. I mean, the list is long. I could sit here and, and rattle things off for hours. Yeah, gluten, dairy's up there, too. Chocolate's like even on the list. And yeah. Oh, man. No one wants to lose chocolate, no, right? that's not even fair. That's not even right. Come on. So this has more to do with some, what someone is eating and less to do with something physiological that's going on? It's kind of a combination of both. There's not a real – if you haven't figured it out, there's not a real easy answer here. <laughs> there's not a cut and dry, this is the way it is for everyone. And unfortunately, in you know one, one model of healthcare, that's the answer for everyone. If you have acid reflux, this is what you do. Well, that may not be the case for you. And in fact, we've had a lot of patients that, you know, we've done the exact opposite of what they've done up until the point where they come to see us, and all of a sudden their acid reflux goes away. And then they start asking the questions, well, how come nobody told me about this before? Yeah. Oh, if, if I may, uh, I think the, the biggest point here is everyone's case is different, so everyone should be worked up differently because all of their causes are different. So one person's it could be a food that they're eating. One person's it could be that uh, they don't have enough stomach acid. Another's could be that they're obese, and so physiologically they're pushing more acid up their esophagus. So there's a lot of different things there. So if this is, you know, the heartburn and reflux, if it is caused by food you're eating, is it bad to take the medicine because I'm thinking if it's, you know, no coffee or <laughs> that, take the medicine at that's a great, the hard choice. That's a great question. And is it bad? You know, there 
saying it's is it bad that's a that's a tough question to answer. This is that's the non doctor question. I, I understand. And <laughs> Thank it, you. I, I I also wanted you to know that it's a it's difficult to answer with with antacid medications, for instance. Almost all of them have a label, uh, a, a little dis, uh, disclaimer on them that says, do not take for longer than two weeks. We have people that have been taking medication like that for 20 years. There is some permanent change that's happened in those individuals. And it's not, you're not going to fix it overnight. So we're not, we're not even remotely suggesting go out there and just stop taking your antacid medication if you've been taking it forever. Right. And we're saying, too, we don't want to put a Band-Aid on a problem. You know, We don't want to put a strip of paper over your check engine light. We want to get down, find out what's going on, find out what's wrong. You know? Yeah, we definitely want to dig in and find the the cause of what's going on. There are a lot, As we've just said, there are a lot of different things that could be causing this. We've got to figure out what that is, fix that. Then you won't be needing the medications. But what if someone is not actually taking a prescription? I mean, taking an over-counter medication every once in a while is that's still the wrong thing to do? Every once in a while is different than every day. That's a that's a great question. I mean, it's, it's it seems like it's semantics at this point, but it's really a big difference. If someone's just taking it once in a great while after a Thanksgiving meal because they just ate too much versus taking it every single day after breakfast and after lunch and after dinner, two different scenarios. Right. You guys got me excited with that food talk there. So I say after the next break we could talk about uh, – Food sensitivities, Ooh, that's a big part of our practice. I love it. So what do you say we do that? Let's take a little break. You're listening to Naturally Speaking on the Big 550 KTRS. There really is a better way to live. Welcome back to Naturally Speaking. Naturally Speaking from the Institute of Natural Health on KTRS. Welcome back, guys. We're glad you're here. You're listening to Naturally Speaking. We've got Dr. T.J. Williams. We've got Dr. Seth Gerlach here. And, of course, Aaron Flynn is with us, keeping us on track, as usual. So where we left off, we were talking about foods and how they affect us and what all ones really bother us. So, T.J., you maybe talk to us a little bit about what food sensitivities are. Sure. Food sensitivities are different than, like, say, an allergy. A lot of people, if they have an allergy to something, they know they have an allergy. So you eat a peanut, your head swells up, you got to give yourself a shot, you got to go to the hospital, things like that. That's not, re- not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about are things that are delayed from the body. So they may not happen immediately. They may happen a day, two days, three days later from a food that we've eaten. And maybe the symptom that we get from it, we don't even necessarily know because maybe it's a body ache and pain. Maybe it's just getting a little bit more short-tempered. I know that that's something that happens with me, and you know, I'm sure, Seth, you can attest to that's true. what happens if for some reason I get a hold of gluten. Um, I, I become very angry and short-tempered. It's a bad afternoon. <laughs> just, just lock Dr. TJ up. It's horrible. Because it's going downhill. It's horrible. So these are the types of things that, you know, people are oftentimes not even aware that they have. Um, People sometimes complain about headaches, and we figure out, you know, they got some food sensitivities, and they start eliminating these foods from their diet. They'll come in and say, you know what? My headaches are gone. That's pretty amazing. That's true. So if they are just 
sensitivities, they're less um, of a problem than an allergy? Is that what you're saying? We're saying that they are less life-threatening. How's that? Okay. But if it's something that people might not even know they have, is it important to find out about it? It's very important to find out about it. We've one of our one of our favorite doctors out there in the country is uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, really really brilliant guy. Has done a lot of work talking about gluten sensitivity. Gluten seems to be a hot topic nowadays, and he has reviewed a, an article that talks about fifty five different diseases that gluten can cause. Yeah, I, uh, TJ, I actually have that right here. So it was the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a big top journal. Very well respected. And a couple of the diseases that they say are are uh, associated with gluten sensitivity, it could be anxiety, migraines, dementia, even autism, they say. So wow. how many people are out there, maybe they're anxious or they have these headaches or they've got these other problems, and they don't even know it's a food that they're eating causing it. What about depression? Is depression on the list? Yes, sir. It's right here. Okay, so think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Antidepressants are the number two prescribed class of medication in the country. Let that sink in for a second. Wow. Whoa. What if it's simply something you're eating that is creating a problem? Well, but are doctors testing for that? Not likely. Before they are prescribing an antidepressant? Not likely. Why is that? Do you know? That's the way the system is set up for them. Do it's, any doctors test for sensitivities? We test for sensitivities. <laughs> we test for a lot of sensitivities. In fact, I would say a good 80-plus percent of our patients, we test for food sensitivities. The ones that we don't likely came in already knowing that they have food sensitivities and already having the test done somewhere else. Say They moved to St. Louis and they found us, and whatever doctor they were seeing, wherever they came from, had already ran that test. So do you have patients who are able to get off of those types of medications? It occasionally happens, yes. That's really cool. We see so many different kinds of people, but the underlying theme we see a lot is they've got immune problems. And where does that come from? The gut. 75%, some people say 80% of our immune system is actually in our gut. And back to Aaron's original question is, um, is an allergy or a sensitivity, or is a sensitivity worse than an allergy? Well, just because you're not having a life-threatening condition doesn't mean your immune system is getting hammered every day by these foods that you're eating. And this can cause problems down the road, if not even right now. So we can see big changes and big turnarounds in people just from a just a few short weeks of eating different foods. It's amazing. Like, um, what was the, the little girl, TJ, who had eczema for, what, five years or so? Nine-year-old girl comes to us with eczema, and bless her little heart, they've tried everything under the sun. They've been everywhere, and I mean literally everywhere. And we ran a, a different type of food sensitivity test. They had had one ran, but they were missing a big chunk of the of the foods and the type of sensitivity. And when, we, when they started eliminating the foods that were on that list, the little girl's eczema started clearing up. And she used to wear long sleeves because she was embarrassed because she had all this red, patchy, itchy stuff that was bleeding and oozing everywhere. And now she's wearing short-sleeved, and she's happy, and she's excited. And to see the smile on her face was pretty amazing. 
and also the smile on Mama's face. Mama was over the moon with how well her daughter had had turned around. So is this something that patients could try on their own, eliminating gluten and seeing if it makes a difference? Sure. Um, you can Anyone can, can eliminate gluten from their diet and see if it makes a difference. But the problem that people will end up having just eliminating gluten is there may be other foods that are problems as well. We see a lot of people that end up with egg, have egg sensitivities or sensitivities to dairy or the components of dairy, casein and whey, which are proteins in dairy. If you don't eliminate those, you're still going to have issues. Yeah, like for instance, I can't have blueberries. Blueberries drive me crazy. And TJ, what you can't have something obscure also. You remember I, what it was? I can't have carrots. Oh, poor guy. Carrots. Isn't that terrible? Terrible. But if I have some of these foods, I notice brain fog right away. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. He 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 just completely loses his ability to think. Yep. He walks around the office just like, where am I? What did I do? It's bad. It's so horrible. There, there are fruits and vegetables that you could not, that you're not supposed yeah, to eat? exactly. And in fact, we have men that come in and they're like, come on, please be lettuce. Please be lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> they're hoping and praying. Yeah. So yeah, just because a food is a health food doesn't mean it's healthy for you per se. That's fantastic point. I'm going to build on that. Foods fall in one of two categories when you're talking to us about foods. Foods either build you up or break you down. And the only way to know for certain is to test. There is no way to just guess whether or not a food is good for you. Because like Seth said, just because a food is healthy and considered a health food, like carrots, everyone would consider carrots healthy. I can't have carrots. Doesn't mean that the carrots are healthy for me. But won't people probably notice like you had mentioned headaches if they eat carrots that then they have a headache i mean isn't that aren't you able to kind of connect the two not necessarily not necessarily so we use the analogy in our office sometimes that if you come into us you've got these problems think of it as you've got 20 nails in your foot at one time okay so if we say i'm going to eliminate gluten awesome that is a really good start but maybe you're only taking one nail out of your foot you still got 19 in there so you still got lots of problems, so it's going to be tough to notice a big change there until we take all 20 nails out. He's not just a doctor. He's a mathematician, folks. That's true. <laughs> I can subtract. <laughs> and that makes sense. Do you generally see people then with more than one sensitivity? Yes. We see people with 20 foods that they're sensitive to, 30 foods that they're sensitive to. Even as high as 40 and 50 is not actually that uncommon. You know, the cool thing about this, though, is these things change over time. And it's not a life sentence. So if people come in and say, oh, gosh, I can't have corn. Well, no. If you're diligent about cleaning up your diet, we're going to help you clean up your gut along the way. These sensitivities can actually fade away as the body heals, which is so cool. So we've got to take a break. When we come back, I want to dive into talking about how we actually get these sensitivities. How do they start? What goes on in the body that breaks down to create these food sensitivities? You're listening to uh, Naturally Speaking on KTRS, the Big 550. You're in the right place. You're listening to Naturally Speaking. Naturally Speaking. The show that teaches you how to achieve wellness naturally on KTRS. Welcome back, everyone. You're with the doctors on Naturally Speaking. We're having fun today talking about foods, talking about gut problems. You know, I'm excited to be here. My dad always said I had a face for radio, and Dad, Dad, I made it. 
<laughs> you do. You do have a face for radio. Thank you, I will, Dr. TJ. I will say that. Where did we leave off? Well, we left off with me saying that we were going to talk about what causes food sensitivities to develop. But during our break, we actually had someone call in and ask a question. Um, Aaron, what was that question they asked? What do carrots do to you? Oh, yeah. What do carrots do to me? I apologize for the graphic nature of which we're going to yeah. get into this There's going to be a caller who is really um, upset so, that that's the question they ended up asking. They you. should not have asked this question. <laughs> so carrots, if I eat carrots, a couple of things happen. The first thing that happens is the back of my throat kind of gets itchy. And then about two hours later, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, I get what um, we in the business refer to as diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. And it's not pleasant. Uh, I get a stomach ache that lasts for about an hour or so that kind of goes around along with this diarrhea. So, caller, congratulations. You win the prize today for the worst question asked. Yes, thank you for bringing <laughs> that up. Oh, heavens. Well, what I'm wondering then, though, is didn't you know they were a problem? You know what? I I like to think that I did. And I, I mean, you I, just loved carrots that I, much. I do love carrots. They're so delicious. Grilled carrots with a little cinnamon and a little paprika. Mm-hmm. Just, oh my God. I have a weak spot. Maybe some ghee on there, too. Oh, definitely some ghee. Pound of ghee. Pound of ghee. And for those of you out there who are listening and don't know what ghee is, go to your local grocery store. And ask for ghee, spelled G-H-E-E. It is butter without the milk proteins, and it is delicious. Put it on everything. Put it on everything. All right, so back to back to what causes um, food sensitivities. So I'm gonna I'm actually gonna ask the question. Uh, Seth loves talking about food and gut health. It's his one of the top three things he likes to talk about. And so here's the question. Get ready, ladies and gentlemen. What causes food sensitivities? Ooh. That is a great question, and there could be a lot of answers to this. And a couple of the things we look for, I'll start with one. Remember, we maybe you haven't heard earlier, but we talked about how we digest our food and how we absorb our food. Mm, yes, so, yes. So sometimes if we're not really good at breaking down our food and absorbing it, that's a big stress on the gut. And it makes the immune system mad. It's angry. It's, it's angry, and that's how we get some sensitivity. So maybe we need to replenish and help people digest their food better. That could be one. And two is maybe we're eating some of the same foods over and over again. Maybe you wake up every day and eat your oatmeal every single day. Well, that's probably not a good thing. Nope. Bad. Because, TJ, we know that... I mean, as we, as our ancestors really kind of evolved, they only ate in seasons, didn't they? That's right. That's right. So think about this. 5,000 years ago, someone goes out and they walk out of their little cave and they find a little patch of berries and they eat all those berries off that patch. They go out the next morning and there are no berries on the patch. They've got to wait for them to come back. They've got to wait for them to grow again, bloom blossom, turn into fruit, or maybe they have to wait a whole season. they got to wait a whole year to get those things back. Very much unlike going to the grocery store today where we can go there 364 or 65 days a year 
and buy the exact same foods over and over again. So you're saying oatmeal is a problem? I'm thinking there are probably a ton of people out there who are having pancakes or sugary cereals or going through a drive-thru every morning, and you're taking away oatmeal? No, ta- what we're taking away is the, something that you eat every day. And everyone pretty much has something they consume every day that may not be good for them. You know, if, if you're eating, uh, if you're having coffee every single day, sorry, coffee drinkers, but if you're having it every single day and pots at a time, you can create a food sensitivity. You may not. Your immune system may be able to handle coffee, but it's possible. So you're more likely to have a sensitivity to something that you are, you really enjoy and you're eating it a lot? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly it. You know, one thing we tell our parents that come in with kids who have problems is, what is what would be the top foods that your child would eat if you let them eat anything in the pantry? Yeah, what do they go to? What's their first thing? And they say, well, he wants this, this, or this. And we say, all right, get rid of this, this, and this, because most likely that's what they're sensitive to. Yep, and when they take that away, the kid's going to be angry for a couple days, but guess what? Then the parents come back, and they're like, you know what? I took this food away, and my kid's attention span is better. They seem to be able to sit through dinner now and not want to fidget around and and play with their phone all day. So we tend to crave foods that we have a sensitivity to? Yes. Isn't that wild? Wild and not a come for most of us. I know. It's it's bad for the snack food industry. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I I guess my question with this is if you get past, you know, figuring out what your sensitivities are – what can you do? Is it just eliminating it, or are there other things you can do to help I'm someone a, who has sensitivity? I'm going to let Seth take this one. Oh, great. So eliminating the food is one of the biggest parts of this. you got to get rid of the food. It's huge. Those are the things that are making your immune system mad, and it kind of revs it up. And when that happens, we get inflammation all over all over our body. And I'm sure you guys out there have heard of inflammation. It's the driver of all disease. So that's number one. Two, we need to make sure that our gut is healed and sealed. So one of the ways we get these sensitivities is when um, our, there's holes poked in our guts. So think of it as a castle wall that's been blown to smithereens, and now everyone can kind of run inside. Well, that's not a good deal. So we need to make sure we can heal and seal that gut. We have these targeted supplements we can do, and it really makes a huge difference on someone. I would just, um, I'm clinging to a little ray of hope that you had um, mentioned earlier that maybe um, if you eliminate a food for a little while, you could eventually eat it again. That's true. Yes. And and what we do is we, we have a standard protocol where someone will get rid of this food for about nine months or so. And while we do that, we're healing and sealing the gut, like we said. And so after that, we retest and then we see some of those have changed up. Oh, we get to reintroduce corn. Yay. Fun day. We get to eat corn chips and all is good. And the beautiful thing is is we help people when they're able to reintroduce a food, reintroduce it correctly, making sure they're not all of a sudden eating it every single day again. We're making sure that they have it today and then don't have it for five or six days. Does that help with it not becoming a sensitivity? Yes, it does. So if you want to avoid food sensitivities, can you do that by just not eating any food? Sure. More by, than by more once than, a day? Yeah, absolutely. More than once a week 
is ideal. I mean, if you just use the rule of thumb of only eating a food once a week. Now, where it gets difficult are things that we find sensitivities in people like black pepper. Black pepper is in a lot of things. And if you're eating out, for instance, a lot of meals a week, you're going to have a lot of black pepper in, in those dishes. And that becomes a very difficult thing to have to avoid. Right. And I can definitely see that. How do you even start to eat out with sensitivities? Oh, it's difficult, but it's doable. There, I have sensitivities. Seth has sensitivities. We manage to get around it. You just tell the people and ask very kindly and be very nice and say, hey, is there any way that I can avoid that? Yeah, and you know, and we tell patients that come in too, it's going to be hard for the first couple weeks or so, but you know what? It gets so much better so quickly when you get uh, on your feet. You know what you can have. You know what you can't have, and you know what? You start to feel better. That's it. When people far- start feeling better, they everything starts getting better even faster. They all you do, you just start making one step where you feel better and that's all it takes. We got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some tips and tricks that you can do at home. It's going to be fantastic. Stick around. You're listening to Naturally Speaking on the Big 550 KTRS. You're in the right place. You're listening to Naturally Speaking. Naturally Speaking, the show that teaches you how to achieve wellness naturally on KTRS. Welcome back to Naturally Speaking. You've got Dr. Seth Gerlach, Dr. T.J. Williams, and Miss Erin Flynn. Before we left for the break, we said we were going to talk about some tips and tricks at home. If you're suffering from any kind of gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea... Abdominal pain, things Love, like that. Lovely things. Oh, lovely that's things. great. I, just so many people suffer from this, and we see it all the time in our office that we thought it would be nice to give you guys some tools at home to uh, maybe help improve your situation. So, And one thing I like to say is don't accept these symptoms as normal. You know, Just because you've, you've got all these symptoms doesn't mean that it's, that it's right that you should have these. Symptoms are simply warning signs. They're telling you the body is broken, fix something. Right. So we're going to jump right in here. So first thing to do if you're having any problems like this is increase your water intake. Water is vital. We cannot live without water. TJ, we, we test people in our office to see if they actually are hydrated enough. And how many people are? We do, and we have had one person that has actually had enough water in their system. We have this fancy little machine that we utilize. It tells us all kinds of information. We get how much water a person has in their body, how much muscle mass they have, what their bone uh, mass is. tells us how much water is inside their cells, which is where the good stuff is, how much water is outside the cells, which is where all the bad stuff is. And we have had one in all of our time in the clinic, one person have enough water. So are people just not drinking enough water? They're, most of them are not. Most people aren't even close to drinking enough water. And we ask that question a lot, and I'm glad you brought that up. People, we ask, how much water do you drink? And 99 times out of 100, the person answers simply with not enough. Not enough. Not enough. They, they know. People know. You know out there as listeners if you're drinking enough water. And no one is. Right. And water is going to be really vital for this. It's going to help 
It's called motility. It keeps your gut moving. So think of it as you want a river to be going through and not a stagnant pond. So a good rule of thumb for the amount of water to drink is about uh, half an ounce for every pound of body weight you have. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you need at least 100 ounces of water per day. That's almost a gallon. Yep. Does that mean only water? I mean, I know there are a lot of people out there who don't necessarily like to drink plain water. Can they have soda or coffee? Only water or green tea. Everything else doesn't count. Right. In fact, things like soda, coffee, things like that actually dehydrates you and makes you need even more water. Right. And I'm going to quickly jump through a couple of these other ones here. So exercise is something else that we can do to keep us from uh, experiencing some of these symptoms. So if you exercise daily, it just, again, helps those gut move easier, quicker, and it's going to help you reduce inflammation also. Get up and walk, people. That's right. Another thing to add in is fiber. Americans are chronically deficient in fiber. So the best sources to get that are non-starchy vegetables. Dark leafy greens are amazing. Broccoli, kale, spinach. Celery. Celery. Eat mm. it up. Delicious. It's delicious, and it'll, it will keep you in shape also. Another thing I want to talk about is avoiding a few things also. So on this show, we talked about what are the big offenders. So the big three I have are... Sugar, gluten, and dairy. Sugar, gluten, dairy. It's that easy. Is that is that you too, TJ? That's it. That's okay. it. And one thing, we haven't talked about dairy much, but I want to harp on dairy for a minute here. Uh-oh, look out, folks. Yep. So let's. dairy is great, and cow's milk in particular is great at taking a baby calf that weighs 65 pounds and getting it to a fully grown cow over 1,000 pounds. That's a... That's a big increase. In very little time. Less than a year. Yeah. So think about when next time you're drinking your glass of milk in the morning, how many hormones and all these things are going into your body that you don't really need in there. You don't need them. Yep. And we already talked about gluten a little bit, how it's really inflammatory. And the last one here is sugar. I mean, back in the day, about 100 years ago or so, the average American ate under two pounds of sugar a year. Now we're eating over 100 pounds of sugar a year per person. 100 pounds. That's a person. So that's just insane. So, And sugar is highly inflammatory. Burns uh, the house down. It's just not good. It's not good for us. Yep. Aaron, do you have any final thoughts, words here, anything? Actually, I do have a couple of questions, and I know you guys might not be able to answer them today. But my first is, we're all told to drink milk, and especially, you know, as a woman and you worry about getting older and bone density. So maybe at some point if you can answer that. And the other thing is, can you do sugar-free items? Oh, wow, Aaron. Those, both those topics are shows unto themselves. Uh, the quick and short answers would be sugar-free. Most of those are not good for us. And as far as the drinking milk and bone loss, those aren't really connected as much as you, you would think in a different way. Um, but we could talk about that maybe next time. We'll briefly touch on it. Yeah, I hate to cut you off, Seth, but it's been a great show, and we'd like to thank everyone for listening and tuning in. Uh, next week we're going to answer those questions and deal with a lot of other topics. So uh, thank you for listening again. It's been Naturally Speaking with the Institute of Natural Health. On behalf of Dr. Seth, the lovely Aaron, and myself, TJ, I would like to thank you for listening, and you can get more information by 
going to our website at the Institute of Natural Health.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. See you next week.